It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast on Local12.com, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. It's the Reds edition. we got a lot to talk about. Uh, while the present is not going so well for the Reds, and we'll talk about the managerial change with Brian Price here in just a moment, the history of the Reds is certainly a rich one, and one that, that all Reds fans enjoy uh, talking about. Uh, looking at and certainly reading, and there's a great new book about that called Cincinnati Reds, The Big 50. Uh, one of the authors of that book, Chad Dotson, the founding and managing, founder and managing editor of Red Lake Nation, joins me. Uh, Chad, we'll talk about the Brian Price move and kind of the state of the Reds here in just a bit, but I do want to talk about the book. That's why I brought you on today, because I, I really, uh, having grown up in Cincinnati, worked in Cincinnati basically my whole adult life, um, following the Reds from in the early 70s to today and, and loving the past history of the Reds, this book has really captivated me. And it's really cool. I, I've, I've not gotten a chance to get to all 50 stories because I've bounced around. And I, I bet you a lot of people do that with the book. They find, you know, because you've done it in kind of chapteresque form, 50 different chapters, 50 different stories, and you'll just kind of hit on ones that, that, that maybe interest you. First, what, what led you to get to the number 50, and, and, um, and what led you and, and your partner um, who, who authored the book, Chris Garber, what led you guys to, to decide to do this? Well, we've been talking about a book project for a while, and uh, and Triumph Books, uh, the publisher that uh, publishes this, they, uh, they have a series called The Big Fifty, and we thought, well, we, you know, this is really in line with what we've been talking about yep. anyway, and with a history as long as the, the Cincinnati Reds franchise has, um, plenty of options to choose from when picking <laughs> the 50 biggest men and moments. Uh, I don't think the 2018 team is going to make it into the second edition, but there's plenty it's, of well, stuff it, to it, talk about. Chad, unless they have one of the greatest comebacks of all time, then it certainly will be might, yeah. Story, right? That's, that'd be the only way, but uh, but there there's so many uh, fun moments in history, and, and you're right. It, uh, we picked we we ordered them in the 50 greatest men and moments is the way we styled it. But um, and you can read it straight through. It's a really good uh, sort of we call it a, a full color highlight reel of Reds history. But you can also dip in wherever you want. There's a moment that you uh, were uh, actually present for or something like that. Um, these are each individual stories that are self-contained and. Uh, and I, we feel like it's a pretty fun way to introduce, uh, not just to introduce, but to investigate Red's history. When you started this project, um, what were some pratfalls? And, and as you went along, was it one where you went, well, we bought a bit off maybe more than we could chew, but it became a labor of love to the point of let's finish this? Well, it was a labor of love from the beginning. Uh, our, our biggest goal was we wanted to put together a book that was sort of different from any other. There have been plenty of great books about the Reds. And we wanted to try to make ours, uh, be able to distinguish it from other Reds books. And the way we did that was we tried to make a book that was written so that a casual fan could read it and enjoy it and learn something about the Reds. But we also, we really did a deep dive into the research. You know, we looked, we dug through old uh, newspaper archives and magazines and we interviewed people. And we wanted to come up with stories uh, in each chapter, especially for the chapters where, you know, like the Big Red Machine, people know about that. We wanted to come up with some things that maybe you didn't know. We found a lot of things we didn't know, and we're both, right. uh, uh, you know, really, really deep into the Reds. And uh, we, so we wanted to have a casual fan, plus also the hardcore fans, going to learn something. When you went through that, and especially when you get to some of of more modern times, and, and you mentioned even the Big Red Machine, where it feels like every stone has been unturned and overturned. What, 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 how did you go about finding maybe something unique? And, and, and when you got to that aha moment, how much did you go? How did I not know that? <laughs> it happened often. And we were surprised. <laughs> uh, you really don't realize how much of Red's history has kind of been lost 
to history. Uh, if you go look at you know the, the newspapers in uh, every city are covering baseball games every day. They're getting quotes. They're uh, coming up with fun stories. People are trying to fill column inches in the newspapers and, and in magazines all the way back uh, since the 1800s. And there are a lot of things that just have not been – they've just been lost. And by doing what, what we call a deep dive uh, into uh, the archives, we came up with a ton of little things. Uh, you know, for example, just this is a, a just a off off the top of my head. 1961 Reds made the World Series out of nowhere, uh, known as the Ragamuffin Reds, and, and a lot of people sort of know about that team a little bit. But we found a, a great story that uh, the newspapers have been following this this lady called Peggy Gunther from mm-hmm. Cincinnati, who every time uh, the Reds were at bat, she had a fly swatter and she'd sit in her kitchen and hit the fly swatter all, all season long. And she she took credit for the Reds' a fantastic year this year, and they followed her all the way through the World Series, where it didn't work as well in the World Series. But just little little things like that, little fun stories um, that we were able to sort of uncover and now make part of the record of Reds' history. That's because the Yankees had a couple of bigger fly swatters, <laughs> a couple <laughs> named Mamel and Maris. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. <laughs> a couple of them, and, I, and I'm not going to touch on each all the fifty, but a couple of them that, that I really found. I thought the 39 and 40 World Series champion teams were really interesting. A lot of people, in, including myself, know the story of Willard Hershberger who committed suicide, but I didn't know about about uh, Paul Derringer and, and 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 kind of his temper. I didn't know about a, a, an infielder that had a phobia of pop flies. Another one that went AWOL. Th- those those were really eye opening to me. And there were some other ones too, but. Uh, you know, those are two World Series teams, won a World Series champion. And, again, I know that's from, the, you know, the 30s and the 40s, but we were a couple of them where I went, wow, I, I never knew that. Yeah, well, I've been writing about the Reds for, you know, over a decade and been a, a lifelong fan and, and really sort of uh, obsessed with them for a while, uh, certainly growing up. And, uh, yeah, we we know about the 39 and 40 teams because uh, yes, 1940 is one of the years the Reds won the World Series. I thought I knew about them, but as we – dove into it, there were all those little stories like that. One of the players just sort of went AWOL during the season. Right. Uh, the shortstop really was was terrified of pop-ups. Uh, he, he'd make the third baseman or the left fielder catch every uh, everyone they could get to. And, um, and There are all these little stories around these teams. The jungle cat infield uh, that right. they had that year, you know. And, and um, almost didn't name their first baseman because he was so bad defensively. Right. They wouldn't, they wouldn't give the first baseman a nickname. I mean, it's just fun little things like that that, that we really didn't know and um, and I think that, as I say, even the hardcore fan is going to get something out of this. Yeah, and, and I'll go to the 75 World Series even. And you start the book with, with obviously, the, it's called the greatest World Series game ever played. I, I knew you know, I knew of Pat Darcy giving up the home run. I didn't realize he was quite on fumes the way that he was uh, in, in relief in, in, in that game. And the other one was kind of, you captured the moment that I'm not sure I've seen in another book, and maybe if I did, I glossed it over. Was was kind of a little of a panic to some degree setting in with Sparky Anderson in in the, in the dugout as they got late in, in Game Seven. You know, I you know we all took for granted how great that team was, and they were always capable of coming back, and they had the firepower to do so. And and Tony Perez's home run off the Evis pitch, but but there was a it seemed like there was a moment in that dugout where uh oh we may lose this again, and there was a lot of pressure because of the seventeen seventy two losses. There really was that that time people remember the Big Red Machine as being this uh, juggernaut, this dynasty, but it, it wasn't uh, assured that it was going to be a dynasty at that point. When After they lost game six and then game seven was going the way it was, you're right. If they had ended up losing that game, who knows uh, what we know as the Big Red Machine. It may not have uh, be the, turned into the dynasty that we remember. And so uh, two of the things that we wanted to do when we were telling these stories were we either wanted to let you, let you know what it was, would be like to be a fan at, at some of these events, but also, what's it like being in the dugout? What's it like to be on the field? What were these right. players thinking and feeling? And that is that is one of the ones where you sort of try to get, you get the sense, uh oh, 
uh, this may be going uh, south on us, and you know who knows where we are at that point. Yeah. Another one I, I want to touch on was, was Tom Seaver's no-hitter. Um, my wife, actually, we, we met in high school. We were not dating at this time, but she was actually in attendance with her father. She still has the scorecard from the game and all those right? things. And I, and I know of the game, and, and I remember the final out and all that. But I thought the most interesting part was, was Tom Seaver going to a, to a certain famous singer's concert the next, what was it, the next night and, yeah. and being recognized. That was, again, that was an eye-opening one for me. I never knew that part of it. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we wanted to remember Tom Seaver – uh, and that no-hitter because, you know, Seaver had a, a, a sort of a, a career with the Reds that people don't remember as much. I mean, remember him as a Met, but he did throw the no-hitter, and he was a part of some teams that were very close to extending that big red machine dynasty. But, yeah, he threw the no-hitter, and the very next night uh, he's there um, at uh, Frank Sinatra concert, and Sinatra sees him in the stands and uh, and has him stand up, and the crowd just goes nuts because uh, – uh, for that one night, at least, Seaver was as big as Sinatra, at least in Cincinnati. Yeah, right, and, and that, that's hard to do, as you know. No, <laughs> it no is, question absolutely. about it. Um, another chapter that, that I find interesting because, and, and I'm going to call myself out on this, I did. I usually do this around around Hall of Fame time and, and try to pick five, I've done the last couple of years, five Reds, I think, that, that deserve Hall of Fame recognition. Dave Parker's always on my list of a guy that I, I think should be in there. Mm-hmm. And, and I was admonished by, by somebody on Twitter, and rightfully so, because I didn't include this person in it. And I even said it doesn't have to be a player. It was people with red skies. And shame on me. I know of the man, and I know of what the man did. But, but, but Bob Housem, who was really ahead of his time, I mean, we, we, talk, we talk in today's age of, of, of different sabermetric statistics and, and, and those that, that follow the game like yourself have, have done deep dives into that for, for well on a decade plus. It's, it's now getting into more mainstream you're talking about the 1960s where, yeah, Bob Housen didn't exclusively use sabermetrics. It really wasn't a term, but he used part and parcel of that to identify players. And, and truth be told, he is one of the five that I probably, you know, if I, if I really did this again next year, he absolutely needs to be included as a guy that, that, that's Hall of Fame worthy. I think it's really sort of outrageous that Bob Housen is not in the Hall of Fame, and there yep. are reasons uh, for that, uh, but, uh, that that we could get into. But uh, I think you're absolutely right. And that chapter in the book, we felt like we had to include Bob House. No Again, doubt. These are the men and the moments that made the Reds. They're, they're not all players. There's no question that, uh, that Bob House uh, had more of an influence on this franchise than just about anybody over the years. Uh, and the, the first draft of the book, that was actually ended up being our longest chapter. We had to figure out how to cut and cut and cut because he did so much to build what became you know, one of the greatest teams in the history of baseball. And That, that really we didn't know this, the process. We knew he was you – know, he ran the show and that he'd put together the big red machine. But and, we and, we always look, and we always look at that one trade in 71 after the 71 season as kind of a singular moment, but it was, it was much more than that. Oh, absolutely. And he had this idea of what type of a team should be playing at Riverfront Stadium when they got the new stadium and uh, what types of players he needed. And uh, um, he was very methodical about how he did it. And really, um, he does not get enough credit. You're talking about the Hall of Fame, you're absolutely right. He just does not get enough credit for what he did. And um, – it clearly was one of the 50 uh, men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. Was there a, a favorite chapter or two? Um, and was there one that was more painstaking maybe than the other where you, you wanted to include it, you needed to include it, but the research for it was maybe hard? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but usually if you're doing something like this, there was a moment where you went, eh, I'll move on to another another subject matter. I'll, I'll, I'll find another story. Uh, well, there were a couple like that. I mean, we had a, a chapter early on about um, – an earlier version of the book about uh, a, a game where Babe Ruth came in and hit the home run uh, in an exhibition game 
uh, in a Redland Park uh, that really just didn't quite fit, but was such a fun story because there was a um, a murder that occurred in Cincinnati because of him hitting home runs, and it's a sort of a, a crazy story that didn't really fit. Uh, we wrote the chapter and had to had to exclude it, but uh, maybe my favorite uh, chapter is the one on uh, Yule Blackwell, right? The whip, the whip, right? Um, who just was, you know, I knew he was a great Reds pitcher. I knew he'd made the all-star team six times in a row, but I had no idea that everyone around the league basically considered him to be the most dominant starter in the league at that time. I mean, he was just – they considered him unhittable. No one wanted to bat against him. And uh, just just going through some of the quotes from, from people that, about how uh, they didn't want to face him and how they considered him to be an uh, elite pitcher. I knew he was good. I didn't realize he was that good. But then also reading through all the uh, archives and all the different cities' newspapers, how they described – uh, how they described Johnny Vandermeer was really sort of a, a, a funny thing to me. You know, they call him a fly rod with ears. They call him uh, oh, what all else? They called him a uh, skeleton. They called him the, th- the thin man, built like a vaulting pole. Um, and, and my favorite one was out of a New York newspaper uh, where they said he had the appearance of a Picasso impression of an octopus in labor. So <laughs> those are the, the sort of crazy things that we found just digging into the, uh, the archives a little bit. And, of course, the, the, the back-to-back no-hitters for Johnny Vandermeer. And the other part of it, and, again, shame on me for not knowing this about him, of, of kind of the, the second no-hitter thrown in, in Ebbets Field, but how close he was kind of to home and how many how many friends and family were able to, to attend that game. Yeah, a huge number of his – he's from, from New Jersey, and a huge number of his uh, hometown came to uh, to watch the game. And it actually was the first time that uh, most of them had ever seen him pitch professionally and the first time his parents had been able to see him. Right. It was this – uh, you know, sort of really special occasion where he coming off that no hitter and he would, was becoming sort of well known through that next one, and he was uh, an overnight sensation in America after that. Well, well Ted, it, it is an outstanding book, and again, it is as I mentioned, it's fifty different stories, and it's not like you have to deep dive thirty five pages per story. They're nice, they're they're, they're quick reads, but they're in depth <laughs> reads. They're, they're fun reads. As I mentioned, I haven't gotten through it all. I've skipped around. I've probably gotten to thirty, maybe thirty two, and. Um, and I've done that over a period of about three or four days, and I, I've really enjoyed. It. I think for any Reds fan, I'm not, I'm not just saying this because because you're you're on the podcast. I, I think if you're a Reds fan, and, and a you want to learn something about the history, but learn about it in a fun way. And even if you think you know the history, like I think I do to a large degree, you are going to find nuggets that you go, huh, wow, didn't know that. Really cool. And I'm not just talking about stuff from 1919 where I'm not expecting people to know it. Um, I'm talking about stuff in, in some some recent vintage, and, and I'm sure that was fun for you. It was absolutely a blast, um, and, and the way you're describing it really is uh, its gratifying to hear that because we really did want to make each of these a self-contained story, but we didn't want it to be a textbook about Red's history. Right. We wanted it to be fun. We wanted it to be a, you know, a, a, a read where you're like, oh, either, hey, I didn't know that, or well, that's funny, or uh, you know, something's going to sort of pique your interest about every chapter, and we tried to make sure that it was written in a way that put you in the moment as much as we could, and uh, – and I hope we succeeded. We really tried. We, I tell you, we spent months and months polishing it and trying to get that particular aspect of it ready because we wanted each chapter to be a little uh, uh, self-contained uh, drama, I guess. And yeah. um, and uh, and I, I hope we succeeded because I, I sure know it was fun to uh, to write it. And um, I'm hearing that some people are having fun reading it, and I hope that people continue to enjoy it. Yeah, we'll circle back here in just a second how people can get get the uh, get the book as well. But as I mentioned, you are the uh, the managing editor and founder of Red Leg Nation, and, and that's been a, been a long time blog since 2005. That does a great job covering the Reds, and I'd be remiss as we're doing this on a day when Brian Price was relieved of his duties 
um, as Red's manager to talk about that and about kind of the state of the team. I, I did a segment on our sports show on Sunday night and was asked by the, by the host on our station um, what I thought the timeline for Brian Price was. And, and, and I'm not here to point the finger completely at Brian, but as you know, when this happens, the manager's the guy that gets it. I said, hey, if they were off on Monday, I think he'd be fired on Monday. And I said, it wouldn't shock me if things go wrong in Milwaukee that the next off day on Thursday he's not relieved of his duties. I'm sorry to see it because I, I don't know what kind of manager Brian Price could be. I do know he made some some interesting decisions pitching wise at points this year, but that that gets nitpicky. Um, when when you woke up to the news like a lot of us did, I, I'm sure it didn't surprise you, or maybe it did just because I, I'm not sure that that's the the finger to point, but it's an easy finger to point. Well, you can't fire the players, uh, you know, so uh, or 25 of them anyway. At right. One. And so exactly. It, it was the, it was the easy move uh, from that perspective, and even from a PR perspective. I think right. a, a couple things. First of all, I, I think Brian Price, frankly, was probably in over his head. Uh, just very curious decisions in game, the way he makes his lineup, the way he uses his bullpen. Uh, I'd sort of lost faith in his ability to run the team. That being said. The mess that the Reds are in right now, it's not all Brian Price's fault. It's not even mostly Brian Price's fault. I mean, he had a terrible record for his, uh, you know, four-plus years as manager, but he was given uh, some pretty bad rosters during that time, too. So it's hard to pin all that on him. Uh, that being said, I just hope they conduct, a, a, like, a really thorough search. Don't just hand it to somebody because he used to play for the Reds. I, I know where you're going with that, and I don't disagree <laughs> with you at all. I fully do, agree with that. Do a thorough search, and if that guy is the best candidate, then Wonderful. But find the best, absolute best available candidate you can, because they're they're claiming that they're at the point in this rebuilding process where they're going to start to uh, to compete a little bit more. I'm not seeing much evidence of that, but if so, you need the right guy at the helm. You can't make a mistake. This is going to be too important. Mm. Yeah, well, let's talk about this because I, I was one that believed. In fact, and I, I listened to you on a on a on an interview in, in a, on a Cincinnati sports station. I think you predicted they'd be a playoff team. I predicted they'd be in a winning. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, make, I'm not yeah. making fun of you. I predicted no. they'd be 82 and 80. I looked at. The Pocota numbers, and I thought they were way undervalued. I thought that, you know, if the young pitching could even be a little better than last year and, and maybe bring the run, runs allowed down to 800, I thought this offense was potentially capable of getting to the 800 run mark um, after scoring 753 last year, and that puts you right around the 500 mark Pythagorean-wise. So I, I thought we're, it wasn't a complete reach. I'm sure you may have looked at some of the same stuff and thought, all right, sure. there, there's no way this pitching staff can be worse than last year by any stretch. It just needs to improve slightly. The, the bullpen has added a couple of parts that should make that. But I, uh, some of those reasons, I get it, but I, I'm sure people look at you maybe today going, you're a nut, and they think I'm a nut, and, <laughs> and, and, and I get that because they sit at 3-15, and 15 and they look even worse than a 3-15 and 15 team. Uh, but, and there's no doubt about that. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I thought if the offense could really just even be close to what they were last year, and I think they will be when it's all said I, I, I do too. They've been awful so far, but, uh, you know, it's been 18 games. Let's not judge them completely on that. Joey Votto's not started hitting yet. They've had injuries. Suarez and Shebler are out, so that hurts. I think the pitching is going to be better uh, as well. They're not pitching guys like, uh, you know, Lisa Alberto Bonilla last year and right. Asher Wojciechowski. You know, we got guys, young guys with real upside. What I'm who have shown is, some flashes? I mean, especially yeah. Castillo got back to on track a little bit. Tyler Malley's thrown the ball pretty sure. well. Romano's thrown the ball pretty well. And Homer Bailey, who was a huge question mark coming in, has been outstanding. Uh, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I think some of the things that I think are going to uh, – some of the reasons behind why I thought they'd be really good this year, uh, we're seeing some of those. The The problem is I thought the Reds would really make a point of having the best 25 guys uh, in the organization on the major league roster this year as they try to compete. And it's become clear that the front office is not very much interested in having the best 25 guys on the roster. 
Uh, they signed a guy named uh, Giovanni Giardo, who everybody knew was going to be a disaster except for Brian Price and Dick Williams maybe. Um, you got Cliff Pennington and Phil Goslin, who seem to be nice people, but they're taking up valuable at-bats that could be going to younger guys that can that have a chance of improving. We already know what those guys are. So that's where I was wrong. I thought the, the front office would be a little bit uh, clearer about their uh, desire to put the best roster on the field at all times. They've not done that to Brian Price's uh, eventual demise. But um, otherwise, I'm still pretty optimistic about this team. I think they're going to be a lot better the rest of the season, and whoever takes over may get the credit for that. But I think it would right. happen whether Price is there or not. Two points. One that you brought up, Nick Senzel obviously has been a kind of point of, of whether you bring him up or not, and, and, and the arbitration clock is one thing. I, I've been of the ilk of arbitration clock aside, I, I need to see him have not just a little success at AAA, enough to where he forces your hand. Are you okay with – again, we'll put the arbitration thing in the corner because that, that's a bonus part of it that, that the clock hasn't started yet and you're not moving in towards Super 2 status, but are, are you okay for them waiting to, to, to basically have him force their hand at AAA that, okay, you've done enough now. We need to bring you up, no matter what the timeline is. Well, I mean, I think it's defensible. If if I'm making the decision, and I guess Reds fans should be really happy I'm not probably, but uh, <laughs> if I'm making the decision, I have, decision, I have him up now. Uh, this is a season where the Reds are not going to be in the playoffs, most likely. What better opportunity to get him, get Nick Senzel, experience against Major League Pitching? He has not shown it yet in, what, 10, 12 games in yeah, AAA. Yeah, it's, a very, it's a very small sample size. It's a very small sample size. And even if he'd been tearing the cover off the ball in 10 or 15 games, my opinion, I'm not sure that's quite enough yet. But, but yeah, yeah, 10 or 15 is a small sample size no matter which way you look at it. Right. But but he, he did demonstrate the ability all the way up through right. this last 10 or 12 games. So, I mean, I, th- I think he's ready. If the Reds have their scouts and their organization feel like he's not quite ready yet, that's a reasonable – uh, you know, reasonable excuse for not bringing him up. On the other hand, with the Suarez, Eugenio Suarez injury, it was a perfect opportunity to get him up here, get him some low pressure at bats against major league pitching, some experience uh, on, on a team where they're not expected to be a uh, playoff caliber team. And I just, I think it's a no lose situation. But I clearly, uh, someone in the front Reds front office disagrees with me. I want to ask you about Joey Votto, arguably the greatest hitter, and that includes Pete Rose in my lifetime. Joe Morgan, for all he did, is, is, is close, not as a pure hitter, but certainly as an offensive weapon. Um, I can't go back to Ed Roush other than looking at some numbers of, of Ed right. Roush, but, but, but Joey Votto in that group. The only thing, Chad, that, that worries me a little bit is in September, he only hit a couple homers. So far this year, just the one double among extra base hits. He's gone through periods of time. He went through a 15-game stretch last year without an extra base hit. You 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 know when when guys get to a certain age, you see their power numbers start to tail off. Joey's numbers last year suggested, well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Do, do you worry about the power outage, or again, small sample size? Even if I lump last September into the mix, well, uh, I guess it's okay to be looking at that and start wondering when age is going to catch up to Joey Votto. I don't think that's an unreasonable uh, thing to look at. He's really the last person I'm worried about. He's such a professional about the way he uh, goes about his business. And he has held off. The, the Everybody has an age-related decline. He's held it off. At some point, it's going to happen. And it may be now. I'm, I'm not ready to say it is. After yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not either. But, it's just one of those ones that I've, I've, sure. at least the numbers are in my mind. Sure. And, and it's got to happen sometime, even to Joey Votto, who's uh, you know otherwise invincible. But fortunately, a lot of things he does do well, the plate discipline, uh, getting on base, um, you know, he's going to make good contact. He may not have the power, but he's still going to bring quite a bit of value even when that power does start to decrease. But it, it, when that power starts to go, if it's now or whenever it is, that's when he's no longer 
you know, a top three MVP candidate. He's just a, a good, above-average first baseman. Yeah, and, and, and when you get to 36, 37, 38, that, that's, that's a pretty, still pretty good place to, to be, for goodness sake. So, sure, absolutely. Uh, and, and it's going to end up being the Reds. A lot of people complained about that big, long contract they gave Votto. He's going to have earned every single dime yeah, of it. It's going to be a good value contract. No question about it. Chad, I can go on all day. I really appreciate the time. Um, again, the book and, and your co-author, Chris Garber, and you put it together, the Big 50, Cincinnati Reds, the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. Let people know where, where they can get the book uh, if they can't find it, maybe on, on a bookstore shelf somewhere. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned Chris because his aunt will get mad at me if I don't mention his name. But Chris, <laughs> Chris Garber is one of my fellow writers at Red Leg Nation. He's a great guy, and uh, uh, he and I uh, had a lot of fun writing this book. You can get it at Amazon. Uh, you can get it at Barnes & Noble online. You can get it at, uh, at Triumph Books online. Uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble are probably the easiest place mm-hmm. to get it. You can also get it. It's in, it'll be in bookstores all over the Cincinnati area and then expanding out into more of Red's country over the coming weeks. But right now it's in Barnes & Noble's bookstores, Joseph Best, uh, other independent stores as well. Um, should be able to find it everywhere. Simple enough. And, and what I will do, and, and for those listening to the podcast, it's up on – It'll be up on our website at local12.com on, on the Skinny Podcast page. Chad, I appreciate it. Hopefully we can catch up again and, and talk some Reds again. Chad is the uh, founding, founder and managing editor as well of, of Red Lake Nation. Um, I could talk baseball with you all day and, and appreciate it, and, and certainly your efforts for the book. You, you guys did a great job. Well, I really appreciate that, and I'm always up to talk about the Reds anytime. Very good. Chad Dotson, the author of, one of the co-authors with Chris Garber of Cincinnati Reds, the big 50 men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. This has been the Skinny Podcast on local12.com, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.